good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? It's good to have air conditioning in the house of the Lord, amen? Mercy, it was hot today. Uh, so it makes you more appreciative of some things that sometimes we take for granted, which somewhat is what we're gonna talk about tonight. We're going to do this, continue to do this theme that Jesus loves me, and I'm very thankful for that. Amen. Last week, we talked about this idea that you're not what you have. Were you here? You're not what you have, and you're not what you do. Our identity is based in the fact that Jesus loves me. That's where it starts, and I'm thankful for that. Your identity doesn't come from the things, your car, your house, the bank accounts. Thank God for all of that. We're not dogging any of that, and I'm thankful for, if you want to call them blessings of God or however you want to turn that, I'm thankful for all of those things, but that can't be what determines or my motive will be to get more of those things because then that makes me more powerful. That makes me more whatever. That makes me more of who I am if that's what the things that make me. It seems that in life, sufficiency has as much to do with the heart as it does the bank account. So let me explain this. This, this are, are you sufficient? Are you, are you satisfied? Are you content? Is what you have sufficient? Is it enough? This is one of those areas we're gonna have to balance this back and forth because if we're not careful, it's like, well, what you're saying, and when I say that, that means, no, that's not what I'm saying, but what you're saying is that we don't need to have goals or dreams or anything like that. No, that's not what I'm saying. My purpose, though, is what is driving you to have those things. Talk to some people today, and I told them I'm gonna do a, after we figure out Jesus loves us, which it took us a long time to get to Rome. It may take us longer to find this one out, but once we figure this one out, I thought about going to another route, just at least one lesson about this, and, and I've, I've heard someone teach on this subject, and it was a powerful thought that everything we do in life has to be tied to a mission. And so if we have, if our passion is for a certain mission, and our mission as children of God should be to seek and save the lost. Our mission should be to further the gospel. Our mission should be to, you know, to, to advance the kingdom should be our mission. So everything in life, that should be our driving factor is our mission. So is there anything wrong with wanting to do better and to, to want more money or whatever? No, not necessarily, as long as it's tied to the right mission. If it's tied to my mission, then I'm going to be at a bigger house and invite you all over so you're impressed. Then the mission's wrong. Then that's a wrong idea. Then that's the wrong motive of why I'm doing certain things. It has to be tied to certain things because I cannot go back to this idea because I have that, that means I'm better than you. Or I have that, that means I'm, I'm more powerful than you. Or I have that, means I'm more blessed than you. That's not what this is, it's the idea, our identity, Jesus loves me, and that alone is where I start. If you can't be happy with what you have, you likely won't be happy when you have a whole lot more either. I've heard this so many times, I'll tell you all right now, if I win the lottery, I'm gonna give so much to this church. No, you're not, because you don't give a dime now. Sorry if you've said that, I don't know. I don't, I don't thumb through the records just once a week or so. No, the point being, point being, if you're, if you're not a giver now, you're not gonna be a giver with a whole lot. If you're, and that's the thing we have to, if we're not happy with what we have now, that's not gonna bring us happiness. 
That's not where it lays, and that's not, what, that's not what our heart desires. So we need things. There's no doubt about that. Again, I'm trying to balance this. We, we, we can't just say, well, we're just going to sell everybody, and everybody just come live in tents on the church parking lot. No, you're not. Um, the insurance wouldn't allow that, and neither would uh, the city of Hazelwood. You understand all those things. We, we've got to have certain things, but what... What are the things that we have to have and what are the things that we can't live without? And yes, those, I agree, those are things we, how else do I put this? We've got to have those things. But are we okay with what we have? Is it enough? Is it well enough? I, I know a family, uh, if, if one of them moves and builds a house within a short amount of time, the next one has plans to build a bigger house than the next one. They're constantly chasing for something that it, they're going to get ahead and it's going to make them better. I don't know what, what, what happens. And so we, we do this and so we're, we're living for all of these things. But, but many times it's like chasing this oasis out in the desert and it looks beautiful. But once you get there, there's nothing there. Oh, but there's another one up ahead. Oh, that one's looking even better than this one that wasn't here. So I'm going to strive for that. And so you go after that one and nothing's there. That's not where you can find contentment. That's not where you can find that peace that our heart so long, uh, so, so longs for. Uh, so we, we keep called hustling for worthiness, Brene Brown would say, Brother Sergeant. Welcome the sergeants to the sanctuary. They moved to St. Louis. This is going to be their church. We welcome the sergeants to the sanctuary family. Me and him have been talking some, and we both like the writings of Brene Brown, but she, she calls it this hustling for worthiness, hustling to, uh, to, to make me feel important. Just a little more is going to do it. Then I'll spend more time with my family. Just a, a little more, and then I'm going to crack down and focus on my relationship. Just, just, just give me a little more time, and I'm really going to focus on my prayer life and coming to church. And all. But you have to understand, you're chasing a mirage. You're chasing something that's not there. It will never come until you stop and say, this is enough, and I'm satisfied with this. And I'm content with what I have. So we need to stop looking. We need to stop searching. No, I'm not saying don't set goals. I'm not. But what is your motive for doing it? I, I talked about a couple of weeks ago when I said these, these ball players, you know, they're, make, they're making whatever. I don't even pay attention. It's, it's, I know it's about $27 more than I make. So it's like $50 million a bucks a year, something like that. And they're making all this money. And everybody's satisfied and content, but they decide to move and go to another ball club because they're going to make, what did I say, 50 million, or whatever I said, they're going to make one more million than that. What time's enough enough? How many times can you spend millions of dollars? And so there's always this hustle and always just this one more thing to get after. And we never focus on really what is the important because we're truly never content with ourselves and satisfied and rest in the fact that I'm okay, that Jesus loves me, and that's all that I need to know. Lynn Twist, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read something that she wrote. It's a little paragraph here, so if you focus your attention. For, for me and for many of us, our first waking thought, she writes, of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. 
The next one is, I don't have enough time to get everything done. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough, follow along, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing and explaining and complaining and worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate. <laughs> we're already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And then by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get or what we didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by thought, those thoughts and wake up to that reverie of lack. And this internal condition, she goes on to say, of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, our arguments with life, because I'll never have enough. You've done it, and I didn't think till I read this, like, oh, my word. There's times I'll wake up and it's like, oh, God, I need to go back to sleep. And then I'll lay there a little bit longer because I didn't get enough sleep. And then I'll get up and it's like, oh, why did I sleep? I got so much to do, I will never get done today. It's just, it's just rat race. And so this idea, when she, when she put it in those terms, this idea of we're already behind, we're already automatically thinking we don't have enough. We don't have enough sleep. We don't have enough of this. We don't have enough of that. That's constantly just do, going over in our mind. And, it's, and if we're not careful, what I'm trying to go at this, this tonight is that we get stuck in that and we've got to be very careful with that because it just becomes habitual then then I don't have enough of anything. And that's how our life goes. We picked on money last week. Let me pick on it one more time. But money has a little bearing on whether or not a person feels they have enough and are enough. Money is not the, the subject. Money is not what should be to, to identify us. Because watch this. We always compare up. We never compare down. We always compare to someone who's better looking or someone who has a nicer car or someone who is wealthier or someone who lives in the right area of town or someone who has a bigger house or someone who is more popular or someone who got that promotion. That's how we're, I, I don't compare myself usually unless we wanna just dog somebody and look down on them, but usually that doesn't make us feel good either way, but we are not comparing ourselves. Boy, I wish I had, I, I've never driven through a town that, you know, houses are caving in, boy. I wish I had one of those houses. Never have I done that. I don't think you have. But I've driven through some gated communities like, dude, we could party in that house. Because we like to party, but none of our family likes each other, so we could all have our own wing and just... We don't compare ourselves to those who are less fortunate or those who don't somehow meet up to the world's standards of wealth and beauty and popularity. We don't pay attention to that. 
But it's this constant rat race of there will always be another hill to climb. There will always be something else to conquer unless we can be at peace with who we are and where we are. If the goal is to prove something, then my goals are incorrect. Temptations of insufficiency are are not just in secular vocations. They're everywhere because they're within. I'm going to tread extremely lightly, but I'll say this without, hopefully, you don't come, this doesn't come across as any disrespect at all. But I've heard pastors of churches comparing how many people they run. And they'll usually say, how many people does your church run, Doc? That was disrespectful. I should have scratched that from the record. Well, Easter Sunday we had. Why is that? Because I have to look like I'm doing something. And I'm comparing myself to everybody else around me to make sure it's all right. Didn't Paul say, in whatsoever state I am, I've learned to be content. Paul, you were in prison. I learned to name the rats. I don't know what he did there. I learned to be okay with my surroundings. That's that's a tough one. Because we don't want to do and look bad in front of anybody because maybe it has to do, again, coming back to this whole idea of I'm not really sure who I am and that Jesus loves me really isn't enough. I have to prove it by what I can do or what I have. We've got to start again with the I am enough, I have enough, I'm loved by Jesus and that's enough. Turn a corner here. The proverbial closed hand, or we could say, or the proverbial open hand, often is a reflection of your heart. With our hands, we work and we, we give, we bless, but with our hands, we also hold on to. We also, we also uh, hold things tightly to us. And when we, when we hang on things too tightly, our hands become clenched fists. And we fight with closed hands. We control and we manipulate with closed hands. Clenched fists and clenched fisted hearts, we could say, are the ones that try to manufacture the perfect outcome. They're the ones who try to control what everybody else thinks about. They're the kind that I hide on Facebook because your life ain't that good. They're the ones trying to manufacture that this is how good everything is. And so they're trying to control that. And if you're never, if your hand is never open to give and to bless and to help, it also can never receive anything from the Lord. If we see life either living with open hands or clenched fists, we we may start to realize some things about ourselves. With the hope in hand, we reach towards heaven. With open hands, we reach towards others. All you need to do is is look at a child 
to see that child and you watch them play and you watch them. They don't have a care in the world and they're just running around in the mud and the dirt. You, you've seen the pictures of others and they, they don't even hardly have anything to eat. They'll eat some rice once a day, but they are just, they have their little buddy and a rock and they are thrilled with that rock. Skyler's down the hall, I think. He had a, I don't know what he had, a PS4 or something, and then all the guys in the church got an Xbox or vice versa, so he had to have that because it's gaming system. They get you out there. They, he couldn't play with them and all this stuff. And I remember we came through a Christmas or whatever, and we had redone a, a room downstairs, which was his man cave. I mean, it was, it's a palatial man cave for him. And as soon as we took him down there for one of his big gifts, he looks and he looks in the little console, and I knew what he was looking for. He didn't get that PS4. Well, I could tell by his face, and I didn't pay attention. So his birthday was in March, and of course, we spoiled him rotten, so he got it in March. But the point is, I asked him sometime later, years later, a couple of years, he's not that old, but a few years later, I asked him, I said something about, did you really? He said, yeah, I really won that. He thought he was going to get that. So he was kind of disappointed, and I'll throw him under the bus since he's not here. Spoiled rotten, what the world? These kids are happy with a rock. But I wonder, we, we perpetuate that as parents. He always, I always call him spoiled, and he's a dad. I can't spoil myself, you did it. Well, there's... thing about that is with that open hand comes just generous, just you're okay with what you have and you're willing to give. And, and so when you look at the poorest of children running around happy, thrilled, excited about just anything, because they've really, they've not bought into this idea of comparison. They've not bought into this idea that you are what you have and you've got to have more. You hear it, folks, and you see it all the time, just constantly inundated. If you have a car, <laughs> it ain't good enough. It gets me placed to, it ain't good enough. Because this one's shinier. This one does this, that, and the other. Mine's fine. No, it's not. And it's just constantly driven and constantly. To, to do this, I, I, when I teach sometimes general psych, the college, I, I would do this, and it just, I still don't know how it happens to us. I'm the same person. I have the same eyeballs. I have the same brain. I hope I, somebody lobotomy, I don't know, but I have all the same stuff. But you think of this, things I thought were so cool. When I was a teenager, clothes I wore when I was a teenager, I look at now, I'm like, Mom, did you not love me? My point being, how the same person, how did I used to like that and love that and thought that was the neatest thing and I wanted that and now it's a joke. Maybe you guys have more to think about. My brain just goes crazy sometimes. How did they do that? Society did that to me. Because they've told me that wasn't good enough. That's ugly now. Now it's got to be this. Now it's got to be. And I've went wrong with it. So have you. 
And we've all gone along with this stuff. And again, it's how culture is. I get that. But this idea of just constantly, you've got to have more in this constant of comparing things. And so rejection, abuse, and, and, and loss uh, of certain things and, and, and that we've lost that during childhood or as we've come into adulthood because, again, there's nothing to compare but because we've had things taken away from us or because we've been bumped or we've had some scary situations, many times we start holding on to things rather than opening up our hand and our hearts to everybody that's around us. But in the end, here's the bottom line. We have to make the choice to live every day with the joy of what we have in spite of what we don't have. I have to choose that I'm going to be okay with my house when you all have a better house than me. Because if not, I'm gonna be dissatisfied with my house because you have a nicer house. What, you understand it steals your joy from you. It steals your life from you. And this way we do this by practicing. Many times the way that we can do this is by practicing something called gratitude. The Bible says it, we will, this will be an ungrateful generation. It would just be people thankless. They're just, they don't care about stuff and they're entitled to everything. And everyone has the same spontaneous reaction. Think of this. When you're super excited about something, you know what people do? When they're super excited about something, wow, I just won a million dollars. I am very, very thankful. I shall use it wisely. You know what? If they told you, well, I'm not the emotional type. No, I don't believe that either. You will be because they something exciting and just, you know what you do? Your mouth goes open, your eyes widen, and ha, ah, and usually your hands go up. And you're excited, ah, excited to see somebody. Excited that your team just hit a home run. Excited fans in sports do that. The price is right. Come on down. Thank you. Thank you. No, those people are idiots. <laughs> they're slinging their hands everywhere, running down because they're so excited about what has happened. Nasty engineers, all the nerds. But when those astronauts landed safely that were in danger, all of them, God, they were screaming and cheering and jumping, so excited and full of joy and gratitude, all of that mixed together. And incidentally, the same motion many Christians have when it comes to worship and God, sometimes it's just spontaneous. We get so excited, we just shoot our hands up in the air and rejoice in God. You can almost imagine you're looking at many little children asking their heavenly father just to pick them up. They're so excited to be with him because being grateful naturally, it's a natural thing I just mentioned. It naturally points our heart heavenward and will always be a kind of worship when we're grateful. Author and theologian G.K. Chesterton, he said, the worst moment for an atheist <laughs> is when he feels a profound sense of gratitude and has nobody to thank. Turn the situation around. They were doing so bad, but the, they, 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 the doctor said the situation has turned around. yippity doo dah! I'm thankful for that. Who are you thanking for that? What are you doing? No, we're thankful and we have that. Puts our hearts towards heaven. I'm grateful. A grateful person will always make you 
a better person. When, when you're grateful, you don't focus on what you have lost or what you don't have, but you simply, what you have left is what you focus on and believe you can have more because grateful people, really, you've met them that are just truly grateful people. They're happy people. I watched a little clip today and I thought about having it and showing it on the magnificent screen behind me, but I, I didn't know how to do all that stuff. And then the internet went down and I had a meeting. It was just, so I just, I stayed in a meeting a long time. So I didn't have to come back. No, uh, so we don't have those. But I, you've watched those clips before. This one little boy, his parents kind of pranked him a little bit and it's a certain holiday or something in some, uh, I don't know what country they were in, but he opened this up and they had a little note for him and he was just, he held it. He's a little, probably eight or nine year old boy. They gave him like a block of wood and he looked at it and he was like, thank you. He just was thanking his parents for this block of wood. And then, you know, then they gave him his real gift, whatever it was, and he's just crying so thankful. That was pretty cute. And then I saw this little three-year-old girl. Mom gave her a little box and it was tied up. She said, what's this? Pull this here, open it, open it. She opened it. It was a paper clip. Little girl was like, oh, thank you, mommy. And I was like, what are you gonna do with it? I'm gonna play with it. She's putting it in the box and playing around. Why is that? Because they're children and they don't know a paperclip, maybe it's not a big gift, or maybe it's they've been taught to have a grateful heart and just thankful for whatever that you have. Because again, I mentioned society itself works daily to train us towards negativity, to be afraid, to just bad news sells. No one reports good news, and if they did, it wouldn't sell. Nobody wants to read good news. This person was very nice today. Well, yippee, this person, he was caught embezzling, and the whole, they went, they took everybody down in this company. Oh, I knew there was something about that story. You know, it's just like, what in the world? Bad news has caused ratings to go up, and outlook of the world goes down significantly. Someone told me this phrase about five years ago, and they said, well, you know, they think different things about that when it's in that type of a, the, the media and the publishing. It's publish or perish. In other words, you've got to publish something to make people want it, to buy it, or you're going out of business. And so what sells? Bad news. What sells? Well, this is going to kill you and that, so you have to get this vitamin to offset that vitamin, and then you do that and this, and it's just, it never ends. So this idea of we're just inundated with this being just never enough, not right. I've got to have more. This world is bad, and if I have this, it'll make it right. But sometimes put into rhythms of your life, this daily practice of gratitude. Saying thank you. Not just because, well, that's polite. My mom said to say thank you. Or she bought me upside the head and say it. But saying it because I'm thankful for that. Take pictures of things you're grateful for. By living every day in a spirit of relaxed gratitude, you're setting yourself up to have a really good day. Because you have to understand something about grateful people they're magnets. Something about them. They're just magnetic. They attract people to them. I, I believe they attract God's attention 
to them even in a, in a deeper sense uh, because, you know, we, we don't want to. Let's think of it this way. I remember one time, years ago, I gave a gift to somebody and it was, it wasn't cheap. And for how broke I was back then, it really wasn't cheap at all. And so I was excited to be able to give this gift to this person who they deserved. They were honored this person. I gave this gift to them. And they asked, well, what, what is this? And I kind of explained it to them. And they're like, oh, well, couldn't they have put it on something different? <laughs> they could have. But they didn't. <laughs> That was years and years ago, obviously. It just gets in my crawl a little bit today. No, the point being is they were just, they weren't trying, they weren't that type of person. I don't know what happened. I don't know if I caught them off guard. But sometimes that simple thank you means a world of difference to people. You know how, I mentioned those two little kids, but you know how you love doting on children when they're grateful. Some kids, and I, please, if they're your kids, I'm sorry. <laughs> Fix it. No, if they're, <laughs> but you hand them something, you're just like, well, that's the, I don't want this. I don't like that. They're hard to give something else to. They're just like, okay. But those kids you give a paperclip to, they're just like, oh. <laughs> and they're hugging on you and loving you, and they're so excited for that paperclip. Well, Next is a car. You're, I, whatever it takes, you're going to make that kid happy. Why? You just love doting on those type of people. I wonder, I wonder if our Heavenly Father loves doting on children who are grateful as we thank Him for even the smallest things. I wonder if he's willing and ready to pour out more. Just the opposite of thankless people. You understand, no one wants to give that. No one wants to be around that. That's why entitlement, listen very closely, entitlement destroys joy. If I think I deserve to be pastor of this church, and I, you're wrong, you're voting the right person in here, I'm telling you right now. I'm entitled to this job. I worked hard around this joint. I did deserve it. The second I do that, the second every one of you is going to get on my nerves. And that's going to be broken. This is going to be ugly. That's going to be the second we deserve. I've been good to God. Been in church all my life. Been a good boy. I deserve the blessings of God. The second I do that, the second I get aggravated to come to church again, the second I get, they sang this song again. They sang that third verse. I hate that third verse. That's what's going to happen to us. But if I'm thankful that he saved me when I couldn't save myself. Sing it again. I hate that song. Sing it again. I don't care what song you sing. I'm so thankful to be in the house of God. So thankful that he saved me and he redeemed me 
grateful people that get results. Something happens to us as an individual. Something happens to the people around us. Grateful people are in a flow of this joy and this energy and just naturally, again, people are attracted to that. And these types of appreciative people have no problem thanking others for what they're supposed to do. Sometimes we get caught in that rut that I'm not, I don't want to thank them for what they're supposed to do. Thank you all for coming to church. You know, you should have anyway. No, thank you for coming to church. I wouldn't, I, I did it during COVID, preached to myself. So thank you for coming to church. You had a lot of options. Other people had options. Just kidding. Some of the, you had a lot of options. Sorry if you're watching. I know you may be sick. I've run in my mouth. I shouldn't. The point being when I, Thankful for certain things and just I'm okay with what I have. And when you thank people for what, even what they're, I, I did staff evaluations some time ago and it's about time to do them again. And I, I had I put, put a little survey out to the staff and I had them come in and I talked to each one of them and, and it was a blight against me and I'll readily take the blame. But most of them that came back to me said something like, we just, <laughs> we want to know what you think. Are we doing a good job? Or tell us what you think. Reminds me going back to the, 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 the old joke. It's like, you know, a wife telling her husband, do you still love me? I told you on our wedding day, I'll let you know if I change my mind. When the music's bad, I'll be the first to let you know. Well, that's unfair. And so I've tried, I haven't done the greatest, but I've tried to, to thank people, it's your job. These great people in this church pay you to do that. It doesn't matter. I still thank them for doing that. It makes, it gives people energy. It gives them something to work towards and to even, uh, to be appreciated and to be acknowledged. And it makes you want to do better and makes you want to do more. Because here's the thing, folks, and let me, uh, about done here, but being perceived as this self-righteous, proud, or cynical critic by others is one of the worst things that can happen to you. Because they know no matter what we do at the church, so-and-so is going to complain. No matter what happens, they're going to have something to, to gripe about. That's the worst thing I think that we could get ourselves in that position because we're pushing people from us when it should have been done like this or should have been done like that or should have been done in this time frame or I would have done it better. That, that's really being ungrateful about what's happening. So really, let's break this down a little bit more. That, that type of harshness or that type of being cynical or judgmental type of person lives constantly from a place of maybe some fear and self-pity. They want, they want to be respected, taken seriously, but in the end, they're, they're usually unadmired and they're usually lonely because they pushed everybody away from them. Because understand, judgmental people think they will get results by criticizing others. It won't work. I've watched this happen. Parents raising kids. Well, I, I remember, I've been... I have enough teachers surrounding me and related to me and stuff. We to share all these stories. This one, this mom came in. She was just irate. Her son was with her. She came to one of my friends as a teacher and she said, 
I want to know why he got a 99 on this. She was irate. I mean, livid. Of course, the little guy, he's just embarrassed sitting there. And the teacher said, well, it's a spelling test. And he misspelled this word. That's one point off. She wasn't being obnoxious. She said, what was I supposed to do? And I mean, the parent was just, that's ridiculous. He should have got 100 on this. You should have got 100 on this. I guess because criticizing, that'd snap him out of that. That'd make him, that'd make him do that, turn that around. It demoralizes people. So the idea then is to have, turn that around and have a grateful heart, a grateful attitude. So often just comes this judgmental and harsh, it comes from a place of ungratefulness. I read a story, this guy lives in Los Angeles, and he said, you know, boring Los Angeles, that's where I live, because everywhere you live is boring. So boring Los Angeles. He said him and his wife spent, took all this, uh, saved until the 17th, he said, we went to Paris. He said, we were determined we were gonna have a great time. He said, we went to Paris. He said, the architecture, and he said, we took pictures, and he said, we walked late at night. He said, we went everywhere we could. We just, we took everything, we took it in as best we could. We were just overwhelmed and just, oh, we were in awe of all of this stuff that was everywhere around us. And he said, we looked at each other. Week, two weeks, however long they stayed, was up, man. He's like, you know the bad part about this trip? What's that? We got to leave it. We got to get home. We got to go home. So they did. They left and came back to Los Angeles. They got to Los Angeles. He was out walking, getting ready to go to work or whatever. This little family from Japan were like, snapping pictures. Ask him if they could have a picture with him, taking pictures of him. And he's just, they were in awe of Los Angeles. And they're from just podunk Japan. You know, come on, really, folks? The difference is their eyes were opened to something new, and all of a sudden he looked around. He hadn't noticed that etched in the sidewalk like they had. He didn't notice the ornate building that was right there that they were. He had never seen that before. Why? Because it was just old hat to him. It was just where he's from. It was no big deal. So here's my challenge to us tonight is this practice of gratitude. It fills our heart with energy and vibrancy. And I told Brother Overmeyer, I said, you know, it's a Bible study and I don't have one scripture. But I think it's biblically based and I'll throw one in here in everything. Give thanks. That's the will of God. So try this. <laughs> say to somebody at some point this week, tonight, whenever, say to your parent or your sibling, your spouse, whomever, someone close to you, just look at them and say, you know what, I don't say this enough, but I am just so grateful for you. And then don't laugh and giggle or throw water. I'm saying, be serious. I can call names. Be serious. And here's what's going to happen to you. If you're serious, first of all, you're going to feel good. You're going to feel a surge of energy in yourself. And here's the next. If their response is, 
awkward and that's a surefire sign that they're not used to being thanked by you. And really it's a gratitude deficit. Simple things, write a letter. I, I heard one family, they were, I can't remember who it was, but they said that they, I think it's on their birthdays, they, they get a card for that person, whomever, and they, they write all this stuff, but they don't, don't hand that card to them. They sit down and they read that card to that other person looking right at them. They say tears and just, it's a wonderful experience. They did a research, and probably with your tax dollars, but that's okay, we're grateful for it. The study, the study measured happiness. And it showed people who wrote a letter of gratitude and read it to somebody. Okay, not the recipient. I'm sure they were happy too. The person who read the letter because it came from a heart of gratitude, they measured, and those people's overall happiness lasted an average of a month still had residual effects from simply sitting there reading a letter and telling someone, I am so thankful for you. Because it's important to know I'm not what I have. And it's even more important to say I'm so grateful for what I do have. We had a leadership team meeting Sunday just had a little discussion with all the departmental leaders and talking different things, and they wanted me to close it out. And so I was at the end, and I, I said, I said, well, I'm just, I just want to say you, you guys are amazing, you know, all the pat words and all this you're supposed to say, but I, I wanted it to be sincere and come from my heart. I said, people have asked me, what's it like? You know, you've been around here, but what's it like being the lead pastor and all that? I said, well, it's different, but, I always, but I, then I will add on, I was handed a well-oiled machine, and I said, I am so thankful for you. In that meeting, they were telling me, we got this, yeah, thank you, Sister Elizabeth, she designed this little thing, and now the people can come in, and they got their smartphone, they do this, a QR, and they can, they can type in, and it's a digital, uh, it's some kind of a digital something or other that they can put, I, I have no clue of any of that stuff. They could be selling drugs over there. I don't know, no, I don't have to know that. <laughs> Break it up, folks. Okay, everybody, everybody's okay. The point is they did that. Why? Because they have a passion for the kingdom and want the church to be better. They were doing that. Thank you for that. I saw my hockey on the organ. She's playing in big church. I think she should be singing jingle bells in the choir coming up on Christmas, shouldn't she be? But they've, the Hoffies do a wonderful job of from generation. We just don't. So they, their big thing is like when a drummer leaves, the church don't panic. Why? Because we have four backups. Generation after generation. That's rare. I am so thankful for that. So thankful for the B3 leaders. So thankful for people who love the word. So thankful for, for those teaching home Bible studies that you and I may not even know about. So thankful for all those things that happen behind the scenes. And so that's why many times I can come in here and complain about that, complain about this, and complain about this and that and the other. But at, a set, at some time, I need to shove it in park and say, I thank 
God for what he's given. I thank God for what we do have. Gratitude trains you into the life of this open hand. When we live, line, when we live every day with gratitude, we train our identity away from insufficiency, that I don't have enough, that this is bad, this is wrong, into a place where everything's going to be all right, and I know that God is going to take care of me because he loves me. And it comes from a heart of gratitude. Let's all stand. And as we close tonight, I'm thankful for the Robinsons who are with us in service. They are going as missionaries to Papua New Guinea. And they've got some things pushed back because of COVID. I'm thankful for their burden and for what they can do. And I'm thankful God has blessed me to be able to bless them. So at the door, there's some offering plates. You can get on the church app. We want to give them a great offering to send them from the sanctuary because we want them to know we honor you and we are proud of you. We love you. We're praying for you. We believe God's got great things in store for Papua New Guinea through the Robinsons. God bless them. Amen. Let's thank the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, I know life goes by so fast that sometimes things aren't always perfect and we can get grumbling and complaining about such minute things. But help us, oh God, to get our hearts and eyes focused back on you, to realize we are nothing without you. You saved us by your grace. You called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, let us forever be grateful of the people that you've surrounded us with, of our friends and our loved ones, the people that are nearby for this great church, Lord. Let us be thankful for your great salvation that you've given to us freely, Lord, to whosoever will. Let our minds and eyes be focused this week and the, year, the, the coming days and months and even years ahead that we change our entire demeanor, Lord, our entire identity based on the fact that you love us. And because of that, our heart is full of thanks and we are grateful. Bless each one. Help us to have a great week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.